You're listening to In Her Voice, a podcast brought to you by Women in Hollywood. I'm your host, Melissa Silverstein, and this podcast is dedicated to supporting and amplifying the voices of women who work in the global entertainment business. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started. Here's my conversation with Georgia Oakley, the English writer and director of the new film Blue Jean. And Blue Jean is set in 1988 England and Margaret Thatcher's conservative government is about to pass a law stigmatizing gays and lesbians, forcing Jean, a gym teacher, to live a double life. As pressure mounts from all sides, the arrival of a new student catalyzes a crisis that will pressure Jean to her core. This is a BAFTA-nominated film, and it won the Venice Film Festival's People's Choice Award, as well as four British Independent Film Awards. I highly recommend it. Hi, Georgia. Congratulations on a beautiful movie. Thank you. I'm U.S.-based, so a lot of people here might not necessarily know um, what went on in the 80s in the UK. So could you give us a bit of a logline of the movie and an understanding of the title? So Blue Jean centers around a character called Jean, who was a lesbian PE teacher, so a sports teacher in the late 80s. And this was a time when Thatcher's government were bringing in a new law called Section 28, which said that it was illegal to promote homosexuality in schools and local governments. And so what this meant was that a whole generation of teachers and also students, because the law was in force for 15 years until 2003, it meant that teachers were unable to even discuss homosexuality in the classroom or at school. And if they encountered a queer student, they were unable to speak to them about it too. My film is a portrait drama of this one woman set against the backdrop of this law coming in. I was also in school in the 80s. It made me hark back on, on those times. And how we never even discussed it ever. And it was not illegal. But thinking about the States right now and the shit that's going on in the schools about queerness, drag shows and things like that. And I find your film, while it is a period piece, is so relevant. That must blow your mind, like how relevant it is today. Yeah, it was definitely something we started developing the film in 2018. And there were definitely things going on in the world that we could draw parallels with the, with Section 28 and what was happening in the 80s. But I don't think we could have quite expected how much things have unraveled since 2018 and how, yeah, all of these new laws that are coming in and the language as well. The language is so specific and the kind of moral panic and the, oh, we must care about the children, the poor children. That, that language is, because I looked at every single article that was written about lesbian women in the 80s in the UK and the language that was used is just being recycled uh, and in the UK it's just being used to demonize the trans and non-binary community in the exact same way and it's horrific and yeah we didn't expect when we started making the film that everything would become as glaringly similar as it has done yeah it's almost like a call to action what was the inspiration for you writing about Jean? I came across a selection of first-hand accounts of lesbian PE teachers who had worked at this time. And it was a really interesting study because there were differences in those experiences depending on where the women were based in the UK, whether they were in the city or not, or whether they're in the north of England or not. But there was this common thread of how after a while, 
splintering off your identity and essentially living a double life, how this results in spiraling mental health problems and that it isn't sustainable. And most of these women spoke about how they eventually had to quit the profession as a result of keeping themselves so firmly in the closet when they were at school and lying about themselves all the time, or they experienced a kind of mental health crisis of some kind. And we then went on to meet some of those women and they would speak about things that they had done or ways that they had behaved, particularly regarding the interactions they'd had with younger queer students. And it was 30 years later that we were speaking to them, but they would tell us about these experiences and they were, the emotion in their voices was so apparent. And I guess as a filmmaker, I just felt I was so intrigued what kinds of situations could co-conspire to force somebody who is clearly a good hearing person to behave in a way that they regret so deeply and that they can be moved to tears about 30, 35 years later. And yeah, it, 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 Jean is not any one of those women. She is an amalgamation of, of different stories and also some of my own experiences. But yeah, I thought it was a fascinating premise and also a way that I would be able to explore a lot of my own history and experiences, but through the lens of something quite heightened and ostensibly nothing to do with me. I was born in 88 and I wasn't a PE teacher, but so much of my own experiences were channeled into the story and that felt like exciting as a writer. Correct me if I'm wrong, this was your debut feature yep. film, correct? All right. And the film got into Venice. Talk a little bit about that experience as a first time filmmaker in that world. What were your expectations? What did you get out of it? All that kind of stuff. We definitely did not expect to premiere the film in Venice. That was something that really exceeded all of our hopes and dreams. But the thing that made it so memorable and special and really the kind of highlight of the past couple of years for me was that we had started by speaking to those women I mentioned in 2018 and we had involved them in the research phase of the film and we had worked with them to shape the story of the film and then we'd had this big break during COVID and I think some of those women thought the film was never going to happen and then we invited them to be part of the filming experience and for them to come and, and help advise us but also be in the film and help us with some of the netball scenes and that kind of thing and so by the time we got to Venice we brought those women with us and they had never seen the film loads of people had never seen the film we finished the film only about five days before Venice so no one had seen it and and so the experience of watching it for the first time at Venice with the women who inspired the story and watching Rosie who plays Jean hugging one of those women immediately after the screening and both of them being in tears and feeling the kind of catharsis that those women felt through watching the film all of that made the experience just incredibly memorable and special and something that I will really cherish and it meant that after that it, it took the pressure off because I really felt in that moment that people are going to write things about the film people are going to say things about the film and it's about the lesbian experience which means that a lot of lesbians are going to have something to say about it because there aren't enough lesbian films so there's always a backlash because it can never speak no lesbian film can speak for everyone but I didn't after that point I just felt I don't mind what anyone says because this has been the point the point was to tell the story of these forgotten women and what happened to them and they have been their lives have been changed by their involvement in the film and that that felt like enough really.
Oh, what a story. Great story. Thank you for sharing. You're inspired by Kelly Reicher and Chantal Ackerman. Can you talk about why they're so inspiring to you? Yeah, I think it's just as someone who comes from a background, like no one in my family had anything to do with the arts. And so when I started discovering cinema as art, I was it was late in life relatively I wasn't the child that had a super eight camera and decided they wanted to be a director and I just I feel like take Kelly Reichardt's films I feel like being thrown into a world that I don't know at all that feels so different from anything I've experienced and just being drip fed information in the way that she so brilliantly does I don't know what it is it's something immersive and something a little bit uncanny I also love Lucretia Martel's films and I feel like a similar thing about her films I was re-watching La Cienega the other day and just that feeling of kind of having your eyes open to a whole different world that you wouldn't have been able to experience otherwise and I suppose we attempted to do something similar with Blue Jean and that we knew that many people would perceive the film to be niche and about something that only really mattered to people but my belief is if you make something extremely specific which I think Kelly Reichardt does so brilliantly if it's really purely specific then it can become something that can be universally appealing and touch people who have nothing no overlap between their lives and the lives of the people in the film I'm not articulating it very well but yeah no that's I understand what you're saying in the specificity it becomes universal yeah. Yeah. That is why we why we want to see stories that are not exactly about us. Why we want to see people who don't look like us, who don't live where we live so that we can understand and have empathy. Film is an empathy machine and come out of your watching your movie with lots of it. Can you talk about any challenges you faced during filming? You had support, I believe from BFI and other entities in Europe and UK. So you had the money to make the movie, correct? Correct, Not a a huge budget movie, which is super smart for you to do. What were the challenges for you stepping onto this set? I would say financing was one challenge because we did, we obviously did get the money in the end, but it was a challenge. We had half of the money for quite a long time. And then it was, yeah, I think one of the big challenges was what I just touched on there about uh, telling a story about the lesbian experience and but not being expected to tell every lesbian story I think that's something that's come up over and came up while we were trying to get financing there was this feeling that if a queer woman was to read the script and not relate to the character of Jean that suddenly the film was not valid in some way I really pushed back against that and obviously we did eventually get uh, get the money but we were repeatedly told that it was a niche story that people wouldn't really care about and that it should be it was something that should be written for television and we're told things over and over and that the character was unlikable and that no one would relate to her and impenetrable and all of this so yeah it was very I remember when we won the audience award at the end of a very chaotic week in Venice and it was just like I had this realization that maybe there was some kind of I don't know there was something happening because we had really we had been led to believe that maybe those people were right and that only a very small group of people would care about the film. So yeah, I don't know, that was a huge challenge. And then I'd only ever made short films before stepping onto a set where I remember wishing that I had written a film that was set in one house with three characters and just hadn't been quite, you know, yes, it's not a very big budget film, but in the UK, 
generally the same amount of money is given to people making their first feature if you involve people like the BFI and BBC Films. It doesn't matter if you have big club scenes with loads of extras, netball teams and lots of locations, you get the same amount of money more or less. So I remember my production designer particularly really wishing that there weren't quite so many locations and things like that. And I remember being terrified at the prospect of all of those things but actually when we got into the rhythm of making the film the, the things that I was scared about weren't actually the things that caused much of a problem it, it didn't end up being so different from making short films I realized quite quickly that you are still focused on a small group of people and you're still having the same discussions and I don't know I think I was very freaked out about the idea of having big scenes with lots of extras and stuff but uh, yeah, I mean, there were challenges every single day. <laughs> of course. Constant putting out of fires and having a lot of young actors who hadn't had experience before. That was challenging. And I really enjoy bringing actors together with different levels of experience. And I think that gives a certain spark to the whole thing. But it also provides challenges because yeah that they need different things and there's only one of you as a director and you have to split yourself off in lots of different ways to give everybody what they need and uh, since it was such a challenging and short shoot I felt splinting myself off for all the different needs of all the different people and I felt depleted by the end of the shoot and I just couldn't give any more but also I did get a lot from it as well but it took a while to recover I think the first feature shoot is yeah, most people I, say the same thing. I take a trip to New York City now where I used to live full time and I come back and I'm like, oh God, I need to rest for a while. Yeah. I just want to explore a little bit on the queer issue because sexuality, gender, all this stuff has changed so much since the 80s. And now there's a lot of the terminology is shifting, noticing like, the world that she lived in, like that dyke world is in some ways diminished and disappearing around us. No judgments on anything. This is the world, fluidity and everything like that. But there was a, a flourishing kind of culture that seems to be not as large. Maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong. I don't know. I don't see it as much in in the media and other places, but it could just be me. And I guess what I'm trying to probe it a little bit is, yo, where are we in these conversations now on sexuality and lesbian versus queer, dyke, trans, all this kind of stuff. And I know this is a super loaded topic. So this is not about trouble. <laughs> I don't want anyone to get into trouble, but I think your film raises some of those things in not straightforward way, but it raised it for me. So I didn't yeah, know if you yeah, had any, sure. any thought on that. Yeah, it's interesting. Someone said to me the other day that it takes 15 years in in the world for a generation to change and for the experiences of that generation to, to come through. But within the queer community, it takes four years for everything to change so dramatically <laughs> that you can't recognize the experience of someone four years older than you or four years younger than you. And I think that's very true. And we've realized since we put the film out into the world that there are, yeah, even just around the word queer, let's say that's a word that my generation has embraced as this umbrella term, but there's still a lot of pushback 
in the lesbian community in the UK for using that word and I've seen a lot of backlash online around it I would say that the film from the film's perspective I was trying to I was trying to identify this feeling of how yeah how often we're so consumed by our own experience that we don't give enough time to to try to empathize to those that came before or indeed those that come after I have experience in my own family of queer members of the family who are the older generation and when I was younger I used to find it very easy to judge the way that they had behaved and I think that was always on my mind as I grew up I realized that it's impossible to understand what they lived through and why that might have changed the way that they behaved and similarly now I spoke to some of the 18 year olds who were filming Blue Jean with us and some of them were out and they spoke about their experiences and it was a lot more kind of it was just unrecognizable from what I had experienced and I grew up during section 28 there were no queer role models in the media at all and I think most of the people my age that I know who are out queer women came out in their mid-20s or maybe later because there was just this complete silencing that happened and so much so that it seemed to be removed as being an option and I remember the first time I saw a picture of say Kristen Stewart or someone in the newspaper hand in hand with her girlfriend and I remember thinking this is going to change everything because really that was a new thing and when I spoke to some of the younger members of the cast uh, a lot of them said things like oh I was in lockdown and I was thinking about myself and then I went on this TikTok video and I realized oh yeah that's me kind of thing and I just it was it was so different and it was fascinating to have our lesbian PE teachers with us on set and then my generation some of the filmmakers our production designer etc talking to these younger queer actors and all kind of sharing experiences yeah I hear what you're saying and I don't have an answer I do think things are shifting and the more queerness kind of moves into the mainstream as it were the more it eclipses some of these cherished communities that we depict in the film and I don't know I suppose that is in some ways progress so it's hard to but it doesn't mean that they won't be missed no yeah I know we need to wrap up but your film is about women lesbian women at a certain time and now we're in a world where many people don't even call themselves women or men. We live in a non-binary world. I thank you for your work on it. We're all evolving. Everything's changing. And that's the beauty of it, right? Yeah, exactly. So thank you for your time. Thank you for your work. And best, best of luck. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to share with a friend or better yet, follow us on Spotify and give us five stars or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Spreading the word really helps us reach as many people as possible. You can also subscribe to the Substack for the Women in Hollywood weekly newsletter of all content buying about women that is opening and streaming. You can sign up directly at womenandhollywood.com. In Her Voice is produced by Leonie Marsh. This is a Women in Hollywood Productions podcast. I'm Melissa Silverstein. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.